Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 64 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, January 31st, 2022. This podcast allows us the chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. I invite you to listen to past episodes online at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. While there, leave a written review to help more alumni find our podcast. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. You might be able to say that today's guest has spent her lifetime with her head in the clouds and her professional career above them in a way. As Dr. Christina Ritchie will share, she didn't have a close encounter of the third kind during her early days at UAB. Her encounter was with the university's astrophysics group. And I saw it and I was like, oh, well, that that sounds interesting. It's kind of sort of like a glorified mechanic meets space, right? And I was like, that's me. I could do that. And for Dr. Ritchie, curiosity has been the essence of her existence and her passion for space has pushed her professional path. I recognized that I wanted to also give back to the greater planetary community more and become more of a part of NASA from a management aspect than I necessarily did as a researcher. Plus she'll reveal what was the driving force behind a phone call of a lifetime. I just squealed into the phone. I was like, yes, I'll take it. They're like, no, no, no. We want to interview you for the job. I was like, no, no, this job is mine. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we will work this out. Ron Garen once said that Earth is a small town with many neighborhoods in a very big universe. As a planetary scientist and an astrophysicist, Dr. Christina Ritchie understands that quote. For her, one of those many neighborhoods is her hometown of East Liverpool, Ohio, a small Appalachian town where Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania meet. Growing up, Christina's parents pushed her and her siblings to achieve success. And despite the confession you're about to hear, Christina was the first in her family to obtain an advanced degree and earn a PhD. I had okay grades, to be totally blunt. I was not um, attentive enough in school to keep my grades at that like perfect GPA or I tested really well, but I just didn't have the focus and drive in high school that I should have. Um, I was too busy with boys and distance running, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) traditional high schooler. And so I had some some school offers, and one of the things that really piqued my interest about Wheeling Jesuit was um, kind of the service part of the Jesuit aspect. Uh, I'm not a religious person, but I really like the the thought process of how does what you do better serve the community around you, you know, which to me is a very Appalachian thing to think. Um, and so that's why I kind of went there, and when I got there, I, I went into the physics major because I had an engineering scholarship like that. I, we went down and we took tests one weekend and they ended up giving me their engineering scholarship because I tested so well. So, um, and then I switched to physics at the very end, just because I realized by the time I had gotten to my senior year, that physics was the thing for me. And I did an internship between my junior and senior year at UAB and met my PhD advisor at that point, saw the research that they were doing, realized this is really for me, right? So how does a girl who grew up in Ohio, went to school in West Virginia, find out about an internship in Alabama? (laughs) 
I realized I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life after uh, undergrad. <laughs> I was like, do I really want to go work in a power plant for the rest of my life or a water treatment plant? No, these are not the things I wanted to do. I wanted to go to someplace like, you know, work in the space industry, do something, something different, right? And so I started researching on the National Science Foundation site for research experience for undergrad programs. And I ran into UAB's program. And then I started looking at the different options for the program. And one of the things that got mentioned was this lab astrophysics group that Perry Jarakinis uh, was running at the time. And I saw it and I was like, oh, oh, that, that sounds interesting. It's kind of sort of like a glorified mechanic meets space, right? And I was yeah. like, that's me, I could do that. And so I, I just randomly emailed the person whose name was at the bottom of the solicitation, which I did not realize at that time was like one of the highest professors in physics at UAB, <laughs> uh, Dr. Uh, Vora, right? I was just like, hey, I see you have this project listed on your REU website. I'm really interested in participating in that project. If I apply to this program, what is the likelihood that I will get that project? And he replied back and said, apply to the program and find out, <laughs> right? And so I did, and I got into the program and then I got there and I did this project with Perry's group for um, it was like six to 10 weeks, something like that. And at the end we did a poster session and I won the overall poster session. Cool. So I, it was, and that was the thing that made me suddenly realize like those 10 weeks in that lab made me realize grad school was the thing for me that I actually really had that drive to go not only get my PhD and like become accomplished academically, but to like really center in on this one research program for a really long period of time. So, and yeah. is that when space and the great unknown kind of really solidified itself to you as, hey, this is what I kind of want to do for a career? Yeah, yeah, it was one of those weird things where I just, it was always kind of there I always took astronomy courses whenever they were presented to me, but Wheeling Jesuit did not have, we had like an Astro 101 course. That was it, right? It's not like this was an opportunity that there was necessarily at my undergrad. And my undergrad was a fantastic institution. I'm super proud I went there. Um, but I think UAB was the first time that I was presented with research options that were valid for PhDs. And when I realized that one of them was going into working with NASA, I just, my mind slightly exploded. I mean, when I was a small child, I wanted to be an astronaut or a storm chaser. Like these were the sorts of things that I wanted to do. And suddenly being presented to me was an option that could get me in the space path, right? And so I just embraced it. So what is it about space that intrigued you as a child? What isn't there about space that should intrigue everybody, right? Every single time you ask one question and you send like, you know, you launch a spacecraft into space and you get the answer to that question, you get 15 more questions, right? I, when I was young, um, I'm of the generation where the Hubble Space Telescope completely changed astronomy for my generation. Astronomy textbooks went from like being like, you know, these little 50 page things that had very basics, like here's a star and here's the different types of stars to, you know, suddenly we were talking about Big Bang Theory and all of these different stellar evolutionary cycles that were out there. And all of this information was really achieved through this kind of 
explosion of astronomy during my lifetime and the, the knowledge base of that. And I just really craved having that knowledge base come my way. Um, planetary science is another one. Like, think of the different types of planetary bodies there are in this solar system alone, right? Like, you've got Earth. We have life. It's a pretty cool place, right? Yeah. You, know, you have Venus, where, like, it's raining sulfuric acid, you know? You have Mars, where we're launching helicopters to now. Or, or you have Europa, which is this huge sheet of ice that is moving and you have these shelves so there's this liquid core underneath and there's this possibility for life somewhere within those cracks and crevices like there's so many different types of bodies within this solar system that are truly exciting and unique for somebody who grew up constantly asking questions and trying to kind of figure out things around them and problem solve it space is like the ultimate endeavor for that because Again, for every question you ask, you're going to end up getting 15 more questions. And you're able to bring those questions to UAB. What kind of things were you able to do in class to kind of set yourself up for the next phases, the next chapters yes. of your career? So, so it's, it's actually interesting because I ended up, I'm now in program management. I'm actually not a lab astrophysicist any longer. I'm instead the the funding and resource mechanism for a bunch of scientists around me and so one of the things that i actually took from uab when i was in grad school i went and did a whole bunch of mba classes on the side um just to kind of start to introduce myself to to recognizing that space science was more than just science there was also this huge management aspect of it which i fell in love with because that's where you get to work with people and that's where you get to network. And when you start, instead of me asking all the questions, I'm helping others ask those questions now. And I learned that at UAB, actually. I learned it at Jesuit too before, but I learned it at UAB. The physics department there, we were a great bunch, um, but the lab astro group that I was in was very small component of the department of physics. So we were actually kind of the black sheeps of, of the physics department, right? Okay. Most of most of the physics stuff that we do is either um, biomedical applications, nanosciences, or lasers, right? It's not astrophysics. But I had a family among that group of other graduate students. You know, each one of us were doing our own unique science, and yet at the same time, we were all pulling for each other to succeed. And I think that that was the part about UAB that I really loved, that I built a community there that we could rely on each other to push forward in our different endeavors. Um, in terms of classwork, being able to teach astronomy to communities was a lot of fun. So I loved doing the labs like Astro 101 labs when I was TA for those. Just such a just such a joy to have like somebody who has no experience in astronomy or science whatsoever just being like, what do you mean you're going to teach me about different types of stars today? What do you mean we're going to learn about chemical composition from these little tubes? And by the end of it, they're able to actually see the, the fingerprints, the lines of the, you know, the molecular assignments to each one of these different molecules. It was just so exciting. So you get your undergraduate degree, you work through the master's, you earn your PhD. 
through your mind, what did you want to do ultimately with all of that education that you amassed? Between my master's and my PhD, so so in the physics department, your master's, you get it when you pass your qualifying exams, right? And then your PhD pretty much becomes doing intense research. So that was me in the lab, you know, sometimes 12, 16 hours a day, running experiments, analyzing data, writing papers, that sort of thing. While I was doing that, I recognized that I wanted to also give back to the greater planetary community more and become more of a part of NASA from a management aspect than I necessarily did as a researcher. And I was really young and, and early in my career to be thinking that. And I, I brought it up with Perry Jerakinas, my PhD advisor. Um, and Perry said, let's get you on a NASA panel. Right. So I actually went and did a review panel as an executive secretary when I was still in graduate school to introduce me to what the peer review process looks like. And and just so everybody knows, like peer review, this is this is the proposal submission process to get federal funding to do your research. Right. So this was the world's best sending in proposals to do really amazing science. And this peer review group meets together to discuss the strengths and the weaknesses and what document they create ends up becoming the thing that provides recommendations to the federal agency for what to fund. So this is a super critical, important aspect of NASA's business. And here I was as a graduate student getting to participate in this process. And it opened my eyes up to kind of the federal relations and the federal agency side of everything. I also joined the Division for Planetary Sciences Federal Relations Subcommittee as a student member in my last year at UAB. And I actually got to go lobby to Congress on behalf of planetary science. Oh, cool. Which was really cool, right? But I suddenly realized that while I was a I was a great, I was a fine astrophysicist. You know, I could sit in a, a lab and click buttons all day. And if that machine broke, give me a hacksaw and just step away, right? Like I would make this work. <laughs> I was a-okay at that, but it wasn't my passion as much anymore. My passion kind of became this, how do we get planetary science? How do we get astrophysics? as a bigger conversation piece and how do we get that money out to people to get to do this great science and so here i was at the end of my phd realizing i did not necessarily want to be a laboratory astrophysicist anymore the problem is program manager roles are not made for people fresh out of a phd right that is that is not the way it is supposed to work so I was trying to get a job at NASA headquarters, really probably 20 years before I should have tried, but it ended up working out. <laughs> um, I, I got a postdoc at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in the astrophysics division um, with a, a great guy named Steven Reinhardt. We were gonna be studying these really cool dust grains and seeing the different optical properties of them to really explore the areas where stars are born. As soon as I get there, maybe within like two months, I'm the president of the postdoc association. I'm still doing the federal relations stuff and I'm I'm starting to take on um, anti-harassment efforts in astronomy. Like, I basically forgot that I had a job to do. I mean, I was doing my job and I was publishing and I was, but it, it had no longer become my passion. And about a year and a half into my postdoc, 
I saw this job advertisement come up for a position at NASA headquarters. To be honest, I realized I wasn't going to have a third year to my postdoc, and I thought I was maybe going to be unemployed within six months. So I was kind of like desperately putting out the jobs. That's what you do during a postdoc. You just try to get the next job, right? And I get this phone call for a job interview and they start describing it. And I'm like, I feel like you're describing a program officer at NASA headquarters. You're like, yeah, it's like the the contractor version of that. And I just squealed into the phone. I was like, yes, I'll take it. They're like, no, no, no. we want to interview you for the job. I was like, no, no, this job is mine. (laughs) Like, (laughs) We will work this out. And I ended up getting the job and I worked at NASA headquarters for five years and it was phenomenal. Do you remember that first interview and how nervous you were and excited? Because here you are, you know, totally when you were a girl, up. you wanted to do that. I messed up so bad. They asked me for the starting salary and I told them a number because I was so nervous. And they're like, we're looking at starting about 15000 above that. And I did not, like, I was not ready for that interview at all. I had no idea what I was getting into. Luckily, I had a colleague at Goddard, uh, Dr. Jane Rigby. So thank you to Jane for pulling me aside and like giving me the know your worth conversation and and teaching me very quickly how to negotiate because Jane helped me to land that job, right? But no, I, you know, again, like I was this, this very early career, a year and a half out from my PhD person, But, you know, I also already had federal relations experience. I already had review panel experience. I already had some management courses under my belt. I was really great with schedules because I'd been in a lab. So I had all of these components that was going to make me successful in that job. I knew everyone in the planetary community. I networked with everyone at that point. So I, I look back on it now and I realize I probably could have done a lot better at um, not just selling my own worth, but, but, you know, proving that I was fully functional and capable for the job, but they, they hired me anyways. And then I knocked it out of the park. So when people think about NASA, they think moon landing 1960s, they think the shuttles of the eighties and nineties and even early millennium, what do astrophysicists do? with NASA. Explain exactly what you did, you know, especially early career to where you are now. What I was basically doing was I was making analogs to things that were out in outer space so that we could compare the different chemical components to see how well they la- they lined up. So we were trying to understand really the basic origins of things like the birthplaces of stars or ices within the outer solar system and like the radiation properties that occur there. Those were the sorts of things that I was doing. Now, what I'm doing is more providing the resources to get people, number one, to win federal dollars. So I now teach NASA's proposal writing workshops. Um, uh, Yeah. When I went to headquarters, one of the big things that I wanted to focus on was the peer review process, understanding it fully and, and learning what makes something exciting and, and energetic enough to get into that step where it's a selectable proposal. Right. And through doing that from the program manager perspective, at headquarters for five years, once I left headquarters, it was kind of natural to just teach it to other people and let them get an introduction to what that process looks like to make proposing easier for them. Because 
Proposal writing is the most brutal part of our entire field. No one tells you that proposals are going to be like your make or break life or death part of your career early on in your PhD, because if they did, you would just go running for the hills. Like you'd be like, nope, that part, that sucks, right? So so myself and, and my, my colleagues, we teach this proposal writing workshop to motivate people to understand that there really is a reason for this process there. And you just need to learn the process and understand who your audiences are that you're writing to in order to be successful at it and teach them how to be resilient when federal dollars are down and when they're just not getting funded and how to keep their team going through all that. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Plus I run internal research and technology development at JPL. So I actually run the internal programs here at JPL that produce great science that will feed into those proposals going to NASA later on for things like missions. One of the really cool things that came out of the portfolio that I now run, I was not the manager at that time. I was not a part of the team, but one of the really cool things that started in internal research and tech development is the Ingenuity helicopter that is currently flying around on the surface of Mars. It just did its 15th flight. What kind of fun things are coming out of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory? What can we expect? There's a lot of really fun things coming out. Um, we are currently, um, you know, we just recently, uh, this past summer, launched um, Perseverance, which landed on the surface of Mars with Ingenuity, the helicopter, and both the rover and the helicopter are currently operating on the surface. So that's a huge component of what's being done at Jet Propulsion Laboratory right now. Um, we also have tons of Earth science missions that are being done here, you know, things that are looking at um, understanding our weather here on our own planet, understanding uh, fire hazards and safety, right? Uh, we also have all of these astrophysics missions that are coming out from um, JPL. One of the, the big ones that's coming out is the Nancy Roman uh, Grace Telescope. Part of the instruments are being developed here at JPL. Basically, we're just nonstop for in terms of space science you know we have a mission for something pretty much nonstop right now so we have a bunch of things coming up as a 9 10 11 year old kid did you ever think even though you wanted to work for nasa that you'd actually be living a dream no 9 10 11 i definitely wouldn't have thought this i was busy sprinting outside with my teddy bear and my blanket to watch a funnel cloud go overhead while my mom's screaming <laughs> at me to get in the basement right <laughs> like 9 10 11 i was more very much focused on just enjoying the life that i was having and if you would have asked me that question i think even 10 years ago 15 years ago we'll say I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm now the lead for internal research and tech development at JPL. <laughs> You're, what? No, no, that can't happen. Um, I think even five years ago, if you would have asked me that question, I would have been not sure, right? Like that's, five years ago I was at headquarters and I won a very large award in my community. And I suddenly realized that I was having this massive impact. I, I knew I was having a very positive impact, but I didn't realize how much I was helping the people around me. It, it kind of sort of hit me what a big deal it was at that point. But if you would have asked me before that, no, I was just fighting the good fight for everyone around me. I am still that nine, 10 year old who lives in the moment, right? Like 
I still have that time. I was I was just out at the beach the other day because I'm in Southern California, right? <laughs> so, and I remember just seeing dolphins off in the background and just being like, yeah, my life is pretty amazing. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves, right? So just having that reflection is still ongoing. You're living a dream. You love what you do. Yeah. But what does Dr. Richie want to be doing 10, 15 years down the road? <laughs> I get asked this question a lot. And I like to remind myself that I skipped large portions of my career in the pursuit of trying to make life easier for those around me. So for we haven't gotten into this, but I'll introduce the hard topic. Um, I was chair for the Committee on the Status of Women in Astronomy in 2015, 2016, when the sexual harassment in academia really rocked our community and we had some massive scandals occur. And my response to those scandals was to say, actually, we need to, to do better. We're, we're failing, right? This is abysmal. This shouldn't be occurring. And at that point, I was working at NASA headquarters and it, it made people go, someone with power is listening, right? And I was spending all of my time, energy and effort using that power to try to change our system at a structural level to protect women, particularly women of color and members of the LGBT plus community um, from harm so that they could do the best science possible because I want science done by the best scientists, by the best humans possible. And that things like harassment and bullying get in the way of that being accomplished. And so I want those things gone. I want this to get back to science about people getting to be happy and have joy and, you know, us just getting our work done. You know, I have spent a massive amount of my career and my energy working to make that happen. And it's, it's worked some, you know, I remember during parts of the last five years, things like my research being brought up on the house floor for combating sexual harassment in academia and, you know, becoming a huge leader in the, the anti-sexual harassment efforts um, on top of teaching people how to write successful proposals and managing all of these programs. And it was a lot, you know, honestly, it, it, I'll be real. It broke my soul a little bit, right? So those about five years ago was a really hard time in my life because I was sacrificing so much for others. And at a certain point, I realized that I had to find a little bit of myself again in all of that, right? Like the nine, 10 year old was back there somewhere. And so I left headquarters, I came to JPL and I kind of, when I first came to JPL, I would, this job was not open. Um, the other job that I had right before this was not open. They were just trying to piece something together to, to get me here. And then I started working back into the management positions. And as I was doing that, I reminded myself, like, find your own joy in the middle of all this. Like, remember to put your oxygen mask on before helping others. Um, so I think my goal for me in 15 to 20 years is to not just be a leader of my field, but to be a role model as somebody who took those timeouts as needed and rebuilt themselves as a person 
for happiness, right? Like I want people to get that you're a human first, you're a researcher second. Do you think progress has been made in that entire realm with the work that you've done over the last few years, last half decade? Yeah, I really do. It has been small, steady progress. Um, we've had to fight like hell for it. You know, we're changing the review structure now so that it's less biased filled. So when you see the name of an individual on a proposal, you immediately make some assumptions. That's just how your brain works, right? That's social science. And so one of the things that we're doing in the proposal world is we're starting to make the names disappear. And we're starting to make the proposals anonymized so that people can actually review the science first. And some of the initial studies that have come out within astronomy from folks like the Hubble Space Telescope, Telescope Allocations Committees is that they've seen that they've mitigated bias significantly through this process. And so NASA is implementing this process slowly but surely in the rest of their programs. I'm, I'm hoping it will be NASA wide um, in the next you know, 10 years or so. We'll see, they have to do their own you know, investigations, of course. In terms of sexual harassment, getting codes of conduct into place for mission teams has become a really critical component. And I've seen that getting embraced more by missions. Folks like the Europa Clipper mission have been at the forefront for developing codes of conduct. Um, and I'm very proud to say that I was part of a little part of that process, right? And then making sure that conferences are safe venues for students, postdocs, for everyone has been a critical part of all of this. And I can say that that has made major strides. Uh, our professional societies like the American Geophysical Union and the American Astronomical Society have done a really great job of trying to step up their parts and making sure that they are providing safe spaces for their scientists. Um, do I think there's a ton more work to do? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the um, racial and ethnic um, diversity among astronomy and planetary science, it is abysmal. And it is abysmal because we've done a really poor job of making really inclusive communities, right? We'll bring diversity in, but if you don't have an inclusive community for those diverse members to feel welcome in, they're going to leave. And so we need to improve in those areas. And that, that conversation is ongoing. I was just in a meeting where I was maybe yelling at some people that I shouldn't <laughs> about doing, doing more. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I like the, the whole thought process of we can do better. Like we can be a standard of excellence. We're, we're supposedly the smartest people in the world. Let's act like it. What is your favorite planet? Oh, you know, I was going to say Europa because I, I, I consult on the Europa Clipper mission. It's what brought me here partially. Um, but I'm going to say Earth. We only have one home. And if we don't take better care of it, it's going to smack us. It's going to be an Appalachian mama that smacks you upside the back of the head if you don't start taking better care of it. So I'm going to say Earth because it is the most beautiful place in this entire universe that I, I have ever been to. <laughs> Granted, I've never been off planet Earth, nor do I wanna go. Um, I am not somebody who wants to be an astronaut. But yeah, especially Southern California, it's pretty beautiful here. Star Wars, Star Trek, Guardians of the Galaxy, or Buck Rogers, or ah. something else. You know what? I just saw The Eternals. I'm an, I am an MCU fan. 
Um, I did not even see Star Wars until episode seven. I saw one through six right before episode seven. So I, I was definitely not the pop culture person I should have been. And I'm not a big Star Trek fan. <laughs> so I know this stuns people. They're always like, wait, how did you get into the space sciences if you don't even Nope, just I was too busy as a kid running outside and trying to jump off of roofs to be held still to watch TV, right? Um, so no, Marvel Cinematic Universe is my jam. Uh, the Eternals was great. That's Christina Ritchie. Christina is the program manager for research and technology development at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and a 2017 recipient of a UAB Young Alumni Rising Star Award. In 2007, Dr. Ritchie earned her master's degree before obtaining her PhD in 2011, both in physics, both from the College of Arts and Sciences. As someone who is helping blaze new discoveries within our universe, Christina definitely has her own idea of what it means to be a blazer. It means you have a sense of community. You have a family in Birmingham. Anytime you go back, every time I go back, it's a great place, right? And to me, it's, you know, we're dragons. Like we breathe fire. We bring a tenacity that people do not anticipate. You know, we're not Puff the Magic Dragon, folks. We're the Blazers. <laughs> like that is what it means to be a Blazer to me. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share? Email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!